Boy, what great words those are. Your blood has washed away my sin. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank You. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank You. Let's just thank Jesus Christ. Oh Christ, You are our life. We have no hope. God, but through the blood that cleanses us. So we read in our prayer meeting this morning from Psalm 130, If You, Lord, would mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? None of us. All of us devastated because of our sin. But with the Lord, there's forgiveness. And God, I pray that that truth of the Gospel might come to us clear and strong today. I pray You'd enable me as I preach. I pray that the Word would come alive. I think of how how clear and plain the Scripture is and yet how mysterious our text is today. And how metaphysical and how unlike really what we've experienced. And so God, I pray that You would help communicate Your truth this morning. I know I need Your help. So I've labored all week and yet seemingly have fallen short in many ways to illustrate and apply and and help us. And yet I pray that You would be among us to teach us and guide us. That's Your strength we need right now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in the 1950s, there was a, a very popular television show which aired all across America. I'm young enough, so I never saw in a an original, I think many of these were live. Perhaps you recognize the uh, the title. This is your life. You remember that TV show at all? Some of you, yeah, the older ones can put up their their arms. I remember several times kind of um, being involved in a social setting where people have um, said, hey, this is your life and done a similar thing. But on the television show, the, the plot was really simple. Each week, they would uh, take an unsuspecting celebrity and be lured by friends to a location near the television studio. And then all of a sudden, the celebrity would be surprised by the news that he was the guest on uh, the show, This Is Your Life. And after being escorted into the studio, one by one, people significant to this celebrity's life would be brought in to offer anecdotes to the celebrity to tell him or her just about life and remember old things and At the end of the show, family members and friends would gather about the guests and they presented with some gifts and it would be a happy time. And, you know, for 10 years, America was entertained by hearing about the lives of these celebrities and watching them react to the funny anecdotes offered by friends and former teachers and former co workers. And they laugh. And they're also moved to to see these celebrities shed a tear as they remember the tragedies that took place in their life. Maybe a death in the family or some family crisis that took place. And this was reality TV long before reality TV came to be the fad. But today as we dig once again into the book of Colossians, we're going to have a chance to look at our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at our past and our present and at our future. My message this morning could be entitled, This is Your Life, but I'm titling it, Christ is Our Life, because that's the phrase that comes from our text. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Our text this morning is verses 3 and 4, but we will begin in uh, verse 1 to catch the context. Paul writes in Colossians 3 verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. There it is, you see, verse 4. Christ, who is our life. This is your life. Christ is your life. Well, for the past several weeks at Rock Valley Bible Church, we've really slowed down our exposition of of Colossians because... Verse 1 and verse 2 really tell us to do the same thing. We need to keep seeking the things above. We need to set our minds on the things above. And so I've preached two sermons about heaven. And uh, 
I've been impacted by it. I've been refreshed and encouraged in my soul. And I know some of you have as well because you've told me about refreshing that's been. In fact, some of you have come to me and said, hey, you can just keep preaching about heaven. How about a six-week series on heaven? And, and we could do that, but we're going to press ahead. But perhaps in all this thought and discussion about heaven, In thinking about heaven, perhaps we've missed really the final piece to the puzzle that helps bring our thoughts about heaven home. Because the piece that I'm talking about comes here in verses 3 and 4, is that heaven isn't this far distant place that's out there somewhere for us someday. In many ways, the reality is that every believer of Jesus Christ is actually in heaven already. And in some ways, we experience it right now. Now, you might, you might say, Steve, what are you talking about? That can't be true. I'm not in heaven. I'm in Rockford. And Rockford is not heaven. Much crime in, in Rockford. Racial tensions in Rockford. Bunch of manufacturing jobs have been sent off to China. The economy's not hot. In a few months, it's going to be cold again. That's not heaven. <laughs> According to my wife, Rockford is far from heaven. And, and I know these things. I know that Rockford is far from heaven, but it doesn't matter because the Scripture says that we are in heaven. right? Look there in verse 3. Paul says, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And I simply ask you this. Where is Jesus right now? Where is Jesus right now? Is He not seated at the right hand of God the Father, ruling from His throne, waiting to fully exert His rule someday, praying there for His people? Isn't that what He's doing? But Paul says, look here in verse 3, our life is hidden with Christ in God. And as Christ is right now in heaven, and as God is right now in heaven, so we too also are in heaven. It's not merely that we'll just be there someday. Oh, yes, that's very true. And that is a hope that we need to look forward to. But the reality is that we are there right now. Now, verse 4 talks about the time in which we're revealed, we'll be revealed with Him in glory. But what's interesting about that, verse 4, is that when that day comes, it's not so much that we'll be transferred to our heavenly home, It's more so that we will have the curtains pulled back and we'll be shown that we're in heaven already. That's what it says. We will be revealed with Him in glory because right now, in many ways, we are in heaven. We are citizens of heaven and in many ways, that's where we live. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. We read of of how God made us alive together with Christ. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These are past tense verbs. God made us alive, raised us from our spiritual death, and seated us with Christ in the heavens, raising us up there. We are in the heavenlies right now. And this should have massive implications upon the way which we should live. Look at verse 5. Therefore... Because your life is hidden in Christ, because there's some day that you'll be revealed as being in heaven, therefore consider the members of the earthly body as dead to these sins. And verse 6 speaks about sins. And verse 7 speaks about sins. And verse 8 and 9 speak about things that we ought to put off. And verse 12 and 13 put about, talk about things we should put on and how it should be. And these are all implications from verses 1 through 4. And so it's good for us to have spent all this time on verses 1 through 4 before we get to the real practical section of the book of Colossians. Because really, it's only when we come to understand and grasp the heavenly realities that we will rightly put off our sin and put on righteousness. And in weeks and months to come, I'm sure that as we go through these things, um, I will remind you of verses 1 through 4, which speak about how Christ is our life. Well, my outline this morning is pretty simple. I'm simply taking the, the main verbs from verses 3 and 4. Perhaps you can see them there. My first point is you've died. My second point is that your life is hidden. And my third point is that you will be revealed. You have died, you are hidden, and you will be revealed. 
And the aim of my message this morning is really to call us to reflect upon who we are as believers in Christ. I want us to think about what happened to us at our conversion. I want us to think about where we are right now. And I want us to think about what we will be in the future. This is our life. My message will be a little bit like the great book that Charles Dickens wrote called The Christmas Carol. Remember this book? Who's the main character of this book? You guys remember? Ebenezer Scrooge. And he was a selfish workaholic who spent his life exploiting the poor. In fact, at one point, Mr. Scrooge said, it'd be better off if the poor were all dead and decrease the surplus population. So much that he despised the poor. Anyway, Mr. Scrooge went to bed on Christmas Eve alone with no friends, no happiness, as he used to say, bah humbug to Christmas, right? In his sleep, he's visited by the ghost of his former partner, Jacob Marley, who had recently passed away. And Jacob Marley came to describe him of the terrible ends that Ebenezer Scrooge is going to face unless he amends his way. And in the midst of that, he brings three ghosts, right? The ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas future. And each of these ghosts tell Mr. Scrooge of his character and his destiny if he doesn't change his ways. And Scrooge went to see, kind of surrealistically, to see everything that took place in the past and everything that took place in the future and changed his ways. Right? And the story ends well. He gave a generous raise to his employee, Bob Cratchit, became a second father to Cratchit's crippled son, Tiny Tim, and he lived the rest of his days in happiness. Now, as we walk through the life of every Christian, it's my aim that your ways will be changed. I'm not saying that your ways are stingy like those of Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that your ways are sinful and need a radical transformation, but I am saying that all of us can evaluate our lives and say, you know, there are some things that need to change by the power of God. And I'm, I'm trusting with him in that. And that's Paul's aim. Before he talks about all the practicals, the way a Christian should live, he first talks about what happened in the past and what happened in the present and what happened in the future. And that's my aim as well. But before I begin, I really need to stop and say a few words about the target of my message this morning. I'm preaching this morning to believers. I'm preaching this morning to those of you who have come face to face with your sin and seen your own wickedness and wretchedness and have cried to God for mercy. I'm preaching this morning to those of you who have found mercy. Because this is your life, O Christian. Christ is your life. If you haven't repented of your sin, this isn't your life. And so my assumption this morning is that you have found mercy. It's my target. And if you haven't, I exhort you to repent. And I exhort you to place your faith in Christ and the only one who can save. Because if you've repented, then you can rejoice. You can say, okay, well, what, what, what was my life like? And what's my life today like? And what's my future hope about? Well, let's look at the ghost of Christmas past. First point, you've died. First half of verse 3, it simply says this, you have died. It's a great reality of every believer in Jesus Christ is that we have died. Now, we look alive, we talk, and we eat, and we move, and we live, and we breathe. It doesn't look like we're dead. In fact, even in the next verse, next half of the verse, it says we have a life. So, there's a sense where we've died. There's a sense where we've alive. Right? And the reality is we have a new life. Right? But the sense is that we have dead. We've died to our old life. We lived to our new life. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away and the new things have come. Right? When you become a believer in Christ and when you've entrusted your soul to His care, He does a work of transformation in your life that's so complete, Scripture would call you a new creature. What you were before is not what you are now because you've been changed, you've been transformed. And that's what Jesus is getting at when He's speaking to Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The idea there is kind of the same. It's not just a, a, a reformation we need. We need a, a transformation, a complete transformation that starts with dying and then is living. It's almost as if you were born again. And this all starts with dying. 
Now, Paul didn't start here in verse 3 of this concept. It's not a new concept. It's been in Colossians. We've seen some of this before. Back in chapter 2, verse 12. talks about how we were buried with Him in baptism. It's just talking about right, being dying with Him, right? Buried with Him. That's a death metaphor of what took place at our conversion. Followed quickly by our baptism. In verse 20, we see the same thing. If you have died with Christ... You can translate that even since you've died with Christ, right? You're, you're a new creature. You've died with Christ, therefore don't submit to yourself to these things. In chapter 3, the theme continues. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. If you've been raised up with Christ, being raised up assumes a death first. Then in verse 5, we even see, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. So when you come to faith in Christ, you die. And the question rightly comes, well, how did I die? I look quite alive to me. Well, the answer to that question really, I think, to help us is to turn to other portions of Scripture where the same concept is addressed. But each time it's addressed even with a little bit different nuance. You don't need to turn there, but let's, let me just run through a list of ten verses or so. Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul's testimony is that of every believer through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. There's a death there to the law. Galatians 5.24 Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. There's a, a crucifixion of the flesh that takes place at conversion. Galatians 6.14 Through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So I've been crucified to the world. I've died to the world. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So there's a death to sin He's talking about there. And Romans 6 contains quite a few of these things. It's probably the, the, the one place that Paul devotes this discussion of any. He says that we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death. The likeness of Christ's death was there upon the cross and we've become united in that. Our old self, crucified with Him. When Christ was crucified, our old self was crucified with Him. And that means death. All right. Romans 6, verse 7. He was died as free from sin. So as we've died, there's a freeness there. You're dead, but you're alive now in Christ. We have died with Christ, Romans 6.8. Romans 6.10, the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. As we died with Christ, as Christ died a death to sin, so also we die a death to sin. Romans 6.11, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, there are a bunch of Scriptures. Let me summarize as best as I know how. When a person comes to faith in Christ... He turns from his old manner of life so that he can give the testimony that I died to the law, I died to sin, I crucified the flesh, I've been crucified to the world, my old self was crucified with Christ, and now I consider myself to be dead to sin. That's what he's talking about here in Colossians 3, verse 3. You have died. He's talking about death to yourself. In verses 8 and 9, he's talking about putting off the old self, right? He's putting about laying them aside, these sinful practices, and putting on this new self, because we've died to this, and we've come alive to a new self. Now, as I thought about illustrating this, I think of the best way to illustrate it is with a monarch butterfly. How many of you are familiar with monarch butterflies? Right? How many of you were given a monarch butterfly? caterpillar from my wife this past year. Quite a few of you. My wife is a monarch caterpillar fanatic, is I think what I would call her. Uh, in the middle of every summer, she goes on a quest and uh, she spots milkweed and says, hey, let's stop. Let's go over there and let's check out the milkweed. Because she knows that monarch caterpillars only grow on milkweed. So you can only find these caterpillars where milkweed grows. And if you want to know where milkweed grows all across Rockford, you just talk to my wife. She knows lots of places where it grows. In fact, she wants to plant some milkweed in our backyard. I've said no up until this point. To me, it just doesn't, no. That just, no. That's, we're going to stop it there. But anyway, she goes, she finds these creatures, brings them home, puts them in a jar with plenty of milkweed, grabs some extra milkweed leaves, puts them in a Ziploc bag, puts them in the refrigerator. 
Past, this past year, she brought about half a dozen of them and gave them to various families of the church. Complete. She probably gave you, I'm not, I think so, right? Ziploc bags with more milkweed leaves so they can put it. No, you didn't. You made them go find the milkweed. But you told them where to find it, probably. And uh, this, we've done this for every year, maybe about five years or so. And, uh, you know, there's a little caterpillar. It starts really small and it starts every day eating, eating this milkweed day after day after day after day. And they grow 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 until several weeks later. They're a pretty big, you know, inch and a half long little caterpillar. And, and uh, somehow after they reach <clears throat> about three weeks of age, something starts changing in their stomach. They start kind of turning green and their stomach starts changing. And at one point they shed their skin, transform into a chrysalis and really look dead. Just kind of hanging there in this sack on a stick that, uh, you know, Ivana's put in this jar or wherever, a milkweed plant or something. In a little over a week, this creature then begins to open up and forms a nice, beautiful orange and black butterfly which then when it, when it transforms, we take it out and we um, put it on our porch and we just kind of lay it there. And I know that Hannah, especially my daughter, likes to see this um, crawl up, this creature crawl up and down her arms and eventually just flies away. So it can go and come back and lay some eggs. So we can next summer, right, go to the milkweed and pull some out again. That's the best picture I think that I can think of this moment this week about what it means that we've died and we're alive in Christ. See, because for this creature to fly, he first had to die. And that's exactly what Christ calls us to do, right? He says, for you to fly, for you to be with Christ in glory, you need to first die. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. To call a life of self-denial and sacrifice and obedience to Jesus. And when Jesus says you're to take up your cross, the imagery is death. And they thought of the cross, they thought death. You're going to take up your cross, you're going to take your cross and die. Be willing to die. And that's what Jesus says. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must die. But the good news of the Gospel is this. That the promise of a death is life. Jesus said, you believe in me. You shall not perish, but you shall have everlasting life. It's a call of God upon everyone upon the planet. He calls all of us to evaluate our allegiance and say, who are we living for? Am I living for myself, my own passions and desires? Have I died to myself and am I alive to God? And the truth of the Gospel is that death to self is life with Christ. Because death to ourself is death with Christ. And in dying with Christ, we live with Christ Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And living with Christ, we live for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. One died for all, therefore all died. And He died for all, so that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's what Paul is saying. The argument is that we've died, our old self is gone, and we have to live with Christ. Well, that is our past of every believer in Christ. The death we've experienced. My next point is really the reality of our present experience of every believer in Christ. It says you are hidden, right? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's at this point we see the connection between our experience in verses 1 and 2 to seek the things above. Right? We seek the things above because that's where we are right now. We're above. Now, it sure may look like you are here, and indeed you are here, but there's a very real sense where right now you are in the heavenlies. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. But so what does this mean? What does it mean that you're hidden with Christ in God? You know, I've got I've got three words to describe this. First of all, it's a reference to your security. There's a security in being hidden with Christ. I mean, that's the gospel. This is it. In Christ Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, those treasures become ours. And in Christ Jesus, we have the hope of heaven. We have forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we sit in His kingdom, having been rescued out of the domain of darkness. In Christ Jesus, we dwell in the light. He's the sovereign one who has delivered us from our sins, has brought us into a true knowledge of His will. And as we embrace Him, He embraces us and we're safe and secure in His arms. One with himself, I cannot die. 
My soul is purchased with His blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. There's a security there. Certainly we hate our sin. Certainly we sorrow over our sin. But we need not dwell long on our sin. Because we know that we're secure in the heavens, safe in the arms of Christ. And there's no accusation that comes against us that's going to stick. Because every time Satan tries to tempt us, or we try to tempt us, Christ Jesus says, listen, it's my righteousness that's cleansed you. And you are free and walk about without any condemnation. We know that we can overcome the schemes of the devil in our flesh because our life is completely wrapped up, surrounded by, and hidden with Christ. As a mother hen places her wings around her chicks to protect them from the evil that may come upon us, so also our life is safe in God. Psalm 91, 1-4 through He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. We're in Christ. We're with Christ. As a shepherd tenderly cares for the young of his flock, so God will tenderly care for and protect us from all harm. One of the most tender verses in all the Bible comes in Isaiah 40, verse 11. Like a shepherd, He will tend His flock. In His arm, He'll gather the lambs and carry them in His bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. It's a shepherd picking up the young lamb and carrying him and holding him. That's what it means. Securely hidden in Christ. As the man tightly clutches his gold and coin in his hand, so Jesus clutches us in His hand. Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. It's the same hand. There's a trinity there. The Father and the Son have us in their hands and nothing can take us away because we're hidden in Christ. As a faithful husband continues to be faithful as wife, for better, for worse, richer, poorer, sickness and health. So also will the Lord's love for us continue on. Romans 8, 38-39 Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, nor life, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're secure in His love. So we experience His forgiveness and see His faithfulness day after day. Well, that's one aspect of what it means to be hidden. And another one is not just security, but also identity. It means here that we are hidden with Christ in God. It means that our lives are, are so wrapped up in Jesus that you can't see us without seeing Jesus. We are the, the taco meat inside the tortilla shell. We are the snail inside of the outer shell. We are identified with Christ. We are just wrapped around Him. And and before you see us, you've got to see the outer part, which is Christ. Now, children, I trust that you've played the game hide-and-seek before. Yeah? Emily, you've played that game before? Yeah? A few times? Yeah, probably. Well, you know how the game happens, right? Someone goes, counts to high number, 50, 100 or something. And if you go off and hide yourself, you find a place where you can cover yourself with something, right? You cover yourself with um, perhaps clothes or coats in a closet someplace. Or maybe you you cover yourself with a bed, hiding under the bed, or behind a couch, you crawl behind it. Now, I know what it's like to hide in these places. I've hidden in those before. Hidden underneath the bed and in the closet and behind the couch. In fact, we love playing hide-and-go-seek in our house. We gather up in our bathroom and go off and hide. And we go try to find us. And I've, I've hidden before and I, I like that. I've hidden under beds and in closets and in, behind storage bins and our basement shelves. And it's great fun. The life of Christians like that. We've found a hiding place. It's in Jesus. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living One. His wounds for me shall plead. There's just a a hiding that we found in Christ. And you know, when you play hide-and-seek, and and if you find somebody in the closet, what do you have to do to see first? You see the the coats or the closet first. 
And if someone's hiding underneath the bed, you see the bed first. If they're hiding behind the couch, you see the couch first. And so also with us, as it was, we're in Christ, people should see Jesus first to get to us. Because He's wrapped around us. It's our identity. That's just who we are. I read a great story this week of a, of a man named Mike Dittman. And, and Gary Thomas tells a testimony of this man. Gary Thomas says, When I arrived on Western Washington's university campus in 1980, Mike Dittman was perhaps the most dynamic Christian I'd ever met. He was several years older than I was and already a leader in the college ministry I attended. Mike had everything, a charismatic personality, great athletic ability, a walk of integrity, as well as being a skilled worship leader and a good teacher. He could lead you into the presence of God like few I've ever met. I've often sought him out at lunchtime to talk and was later pleased to end up being with him in a small group that he led. It was just a couple years later that a close friend of mine told me the shocking news. After morning workout, Mike's body dropped to the locker room floor. A brain hemorrhage almost took his life. And after a furious scare, the doctors were able to keep Mike in this world, albeit a very different Mike. His Hollywood handsome appearance was gone. Half of Mike's face now looks fallen, pulled over to one side. He can't sing anymore or play the guitar. There's no more leading worship. For a while, his speech was slurred so he couldn't teach. He was humbled in just about every way an ambitious man could be humbled. And after months of grueling therapy, Mike moved on. The devastating effect on his body was paralleled by an equally powerful and wonderful change in his spirit. Now, years later, Mike's ministry has never been more productive. He started a phenomenally successful department of counseling at Philadelphia Biblical University. It's grown from a handful of students to hundreds of participants. People fly into Philadelphia from all over the country to meet with Mike. Pastors who have fallen, marriages have broken apart, children who are rebelling. Mike's seen it all. Whereas before his focus was on the masses, Mike now specializes in healing the hurting hearts one at a time. Mike told me recently the brain hemorrhage took a lot away from me, but it gave me even more. Mike is now the type of guy whose spirit invites you to quiet your heart and to get rid of all pretenses and revel in God's presence. And here's the punchline, what I want to talk about, about being hidden in Christ. Gary writes, I think the main difference is that in college when I was around Mike, I wanted to be like Mike. In his arm, he'll gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. It's a shepherd picking up the young lamb and carrying him and holding him. That's what it means. Securely hidden in Christ. As the man tightly clutches his gold and coin in his hand, so Jesus clutches us in His hand. Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. It's the same hand. There's a trinity there. The Father and the Son have us in their hands and nothing can take us away because we're hidden in Christ. As a faithful husband continues to be faithful to his wife for better, for worse, richer, poorer, sickness and health. So also will the Lord's love for us continue on. Romans 8, 38-39 Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, nor life, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're secure in His love. So we experience His forgiveness and see His faithfulness day after day. Well, that's one aspect of what it means to be hidden. And another one is not just security, but also identity. It means here that we are hidden with Christ in God. It means that our lives are, are so wrapped up in Jesus that you can't see us without seeing Jesus. We are the, the taco meat inside the tortilla shell. We are the snail inside of the outer shell. We are identified with Christ. We are just wrapped around Him. And, and it, before you see us, you've got to see the outer part, which is Christ. Now, children, I trust that you've played the game hide-and-seek before. Yeah? Emily, you've played that game before? Yeah? A few times? Yeah, probably. Well, you know how the game happens, right? Someone goes, 
counts to high number, 50, 100 or something. And if you go off and hide yourself, you find a place where you can cover yourself with something, right? You cover yourself with um, perhaps clothes or coats in a closet someplace. Or maybe you, you cover yourself with a bed, hiding under the bed, or behind a couch, you crawl behind it. Now, I know what it's like to hide in these places. I've hidden in those before. Hidden underneath the bed and in the closet and behind the couch. In fact, we love playing hide-and-go-seek in our house. <laughs> we gather up in our bathroom and go off and hide. And we go try to find us. And I've, I've hidden before, and I, I like that. I've hidden under beds and in closets and in, behind storage bins and our basement shelves. And it's great fun. The life of Christians like that. We found a hiding place. It's in Jesus. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living One. His wounds for me shall plead. There's just a, a hiding that we found in Christ. And you know, when you play hide-and-seek, and if you find somebody in the closet, what do you have to do to see first? You see the, the coats or the closet first. And if someone's hiding underneath the bed, you see the bed first. If they're hiding behind the couch, you see the couch first. And so also with us, as it was, we're in Christ, people should see Jesus first to get to us. Because He's wrapped around us. It's our identity. That's just who we are. I read a great story this week of a, of a man named Mike Dittman. And, and Gary Thomas tells a testimony of this man. Gary Thomas says, When I arrived on Western Washington's university campus in 1980, Mike Dittman was perhaps the most dynamic Christian I'd ever met. He was several years older than I was and already a leader in the college ministry I attended. Mike had everything, a charismatic personality, great athletic ability, a walk of integrity, as well as being a skilled worship leader and a good teacher. He could lead you into the presence of God like few I've ever met. I've often sought him out at lunchtime to talk and was later pleased to end up being with him in a small group that he led. It was just a couple years later that a close friend of mine told me the shocking news. After a morning workout, Mike's body dropped to the locker room floor. A brain hemorrhage almost took his life. And after a furious scare, the doctors were able to keep Mike in this world, albeit a very different Mike. His Hollywood handsome appearance was gone. Half of Mike's face now looks fallen, pulled over to one side. He can't sing anymore or play the guitar. There's no more leading worship. For a while, his speech was slurred so he couldn't teach. He was humbled in just about every way an ambitious man could be humbled. And after months of grueling therapy, Mike moved on. The devastating effect on his body was paralleled by an equally powerful and wonderful change in his spirit. Now, years later, Mike's ministry has never been more productive. He started a phenomenally successful department of counseling at Philadelphia Biblical University. It's grown from a handful of students to hundreds of participants. People fly into Philadelphia from all over the country to meet with Mike. Pastors who have fallen, marriages have broken apart, children who are rebelling. Mike's seen it all. Whereas before his focus was on the masses, Mike now specializes in healing the hurting hearts one at a time. Mike told me recently the brain hemorrhage took a lot away from me, but it gave me even more. Mike is now the type of guy whose spirit invites you to quiet your heart and to get rid of all pretenses and revel in God's presence. And here's the punchline, what I want to talk about, about being hidden in Christ. Gary writes, I think the main difference is that in college when I was around Mike, I wanted to be like Mike. Now, after spending time with Mike, I want to be more like Jesus. Because that's where our identity is. And as we're hidden in Christ, we are wrapped up in Him. And to see Mike Dittman is to see Jesus. Right? And we also, to see us, ought to be to see Jesus. And that's the sense that we are in Christ. In fact, many times the Scriptures describes a Christian as being in Christ. There's Christ and the Christian kind of gets in them, identified with it. So when we see a Christian, we ought to see a Christ, right? In fact, Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul's writing to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Christians are often described as being in Christ, hidden with Christ. That's where identity lies. Hidden in Christ. It means a security. It means identity. And here's the third one. It means there's a secrecy about it. I mean, by this, I simply mean that there's an aspect of our life that isn't entirely evident for all to see. We are hidden with Christ in God. 
There's a mysterious nature about our lives with Christ. We're hidden. We're, we're covered up. We're not totally seen. And when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about being born again, Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter again into his mother's womb, can he? And Jesus said this. He said, you know, the things I'm talking about, they're spiritual, they're not physical. Right? There's this mystery to it. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And see, the change that comes upon us when we die to our sins doesn't change us physically. We still look like the old Bill or Ted or, or Marcy or Susie. A change comes in our behavior. And as people look at our behavior, they say something's different about that because they see Christ in us, but they, there's still something hidden about us in the sense that it's not been fully revealed what we are. And that leads to my third point, right? That we will be revealed because we're hidden now, but there's a sense where we will be revealed for all that we are. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. As we saw a few weeks ago, Jesus Christ is on His throne. He's waiting for the day when He will come back and rule and reign on this earth. And when that day comes, Jesus will be revealed for all the world to see. There will be no mistaking who Jesus is. Listen to the description of that day in Revelation 19. John writes, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood and His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in the heavens, that's us by the way, with no weapons at all because Christ will fight for us. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, we're following Him on white horses. And from His mouth comes a, a sharp sword so that with it He may strike down the nations. And He will rule them with a rod of iron. And He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty on His robe and on His thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the war that will end all wars. Jesus Christ, His heavenly army, will wage war against the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies. And the outcome of that war will be the beast and those who worshipped His image will, will die the Lamb who came the first time will return as the lion devouring his foes. He'll come to conquer those who refuse to believe in His name. And when He conquers, He'll come and rule the universe. And really what it is, is just a revealing who Jesus is. I mean, right now He's in the heavens sitting and waiting and praying for us. And the world doesn't really see Him. Oh, they hear about Him through His Word. And they don't believe in Him. Right? Psalm 2 says the nations mock against the Lord and against His anointed. Oh, but there will be a day when the veil is taken away from heaven. Jesus will be seen for who He is and He's going to come and march. He is revealed. But just as verse 4 says that Jesus is revealed, so also too every believer in Christ will have this curtain taken away and revealed for who exactly we are. When Jesus is manifest for the world to see, all His true followers will be manifest for the world to see as well. Right? There's a sense now where Jesus is hidden from the world. His true character is not open and laid bare before the world to come and to see. But there will be a day when they will see who He is. When they see Him, they will see you. Now, right now, it's not totally clear. But there will be a day when we are revealed with Christ. This is, this is heaven. This is what you can look forward to, O believer in Christ. You know, and there are quite a few Scriptures that speak about the same thing. About how the world doesn't quite understand us. But there'll be a day when Christ comes and we'll see Him be revealed as He is, right? First John chapter 3, 1-3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. And for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. See, there's a sense where the, the world doesn't quite know us because we're hidden in Christ. John continues on. 
Now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we'll be like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. Right? We're not totally what we are. We're not totally what we will be. But there will be a day in which Christ appears, we will be appeared for everything that we are, hidden in Christ, complete in Him. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. First John Chapter 3, 1 through 3. Another one comes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, where it speaks about how believers are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We're, we're protected by God, right? We're covered secure through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. It's not revealed yet, but it's going to be there. And this time we are protected. And that final day when it comes, the imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance will be ours for all the world to see. Another one, and this is probably my favorite, comes in Romans 8, verse 19. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Because of Adam's sin, the world was subjected to futility. And creation, it says in Romans 8, longs to be freed of this curse that it has been experienced, that has experienced, been um, subjected to. But when will it be freed? It will be freed when the revealing of the sons of God take place. And do you realize that right now the grass and the flowers and the trees and the rocks and the dirt and the lake, dirt and the lakes, They're all longing for this day when we as Christians are revealed for who we are. Are you longing for that day? You know, Martin Luther said that there are two days in his calendar. He said this day and that great day are the two days in his calendar. And maybe it just might be that the dirt in the ground is more anxious longing for that day when you will be revealed than you do. That's the case. Something's dreadfully wrong. And we need to realize everything that verse 4 speaks about will be revealed with Him in glory. Not because of our own works of righteousness, right? Not because of the good things that we've done. Simply because we've forsaken our sin, died to our sin, entrusted ourselves with Christ. Right now we're hidden in Christ. There'll be a day when the entire earth will behold us as joint heirs in Christ. And it'll be a great day. And I exhort you to long for that day. You know, the saints of old is always long for that day. I was speaking with Jake this past week about hymns and, and uh, songs focusing on heaven. And, and there are some that focus all about heaven, but there are lots of them that focus several stanzas about our death and where we're living and trusting Christ now and the difficulties we go. But then when Christ comes, how great it's going to be. Kind of leads us up to that. And, and one of those we, we sung today, right? When He comes, our glorious King... All the ransom home to bring. Then anew this song will sing. Alleluia! What a Savior. The saints of old have always longed for this day, right? O Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back like a, a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. Rejoice in glorious hope, our Lord the Judge shall come and take His servants up to their eternal home. Lift up your hearts, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. When He shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Now, wouldn't it be great to make a hymn out of those five stanzas? And you transition from one to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other, just anticipating that you've got an assignment, Jake. You can think about that. But I think that'd be great. Just focusing upon that day in which we are revealed. Well, there's one final phrase I want us to focus upon and dwell upon because it is the heart of my message. It comes right here in in verse 4. Christ Jesus, who is our life. Christ is your life. 
I mean, the only reason we've died to sin is because Christ died to sin. The only reason we exist now in the heavenlies is because of Christ, because we're in Christ, with Christ. And the only reason we will be revealed someday in future glory is only because we're up there with Christ. Only because of Jesus. Christ Jesus is our life. He is the only reason these things are so. He's our only hope and joy. He's the only one that gives life. (laughs) What else is there to live for? What other hope do you have? Christ Jesus is our life. He ought to be our life. He ought to be our everything. That's why we worship Him. That's why we focus our attention upon Him. That's why we sing for Him. I was talking to Jake also. <laughs> so I just had breakfast with him yesterday morning, so these things are upon my heart. But, you know, some of the things about what we sing here at Rock Valley Bible Church, um, how can I say this? They, yes, they focus on the grandeur and the glory and the magnificence of God. But I'm not sure you've noticed this, but many, most, all of our songs focus our heart and attention upon Jesus. Because it's really it's the redemption in Him that's going to give you joy and it's going to give you endurance and it's going to give you hope and it's going to give you perseverance. Right? I mean, God, great as He is, yes, we need to worship Him, but you know, just a great God apart from a Savior leaves us hopeless. But a great God who is a Savior, Jesus Christ, gives us great hope and that's what gives us our great joy. That is the Gospel. And that's why we sing so much about Christ. Um, Right? You just think about the songs we sang today, right? Do you remember what the songs we sang? Think about those in your hymnal. What did we sing? There is a Redeemer, right? Jesus Christ, a Redeemer. What else we sing? Oh, how quickly they forget, Jake, right? Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Jesus, thank you. What else? My heart is filled with thankfulness about Christ. Calvary covers it all. Oh, mighty cross, right? Hallelujah, what a Savior, right? And these things, as they are there, they ought to be in Jesus, and that gives us life, and that gives us hope because it's in Christ, because Christ is our life. What else can we sing about than our life? And our life is Jesus. So I pray at Rock Valley Bible Church that this would be our focus, this would be our hope and our joy, is Christ Jesus, who is our life. Christian, that is your life. You've died with Christ, you are hidden with Christ, and someday you will be revealed with Christ. We experience that. May God transform our hearts and our lives to live appropriately. So let's pray. God, I pray You'd strengthen us to live the realities of everything that um, we are. Teach us of our death. Teach us of our present reality of living with Christ. And teach us of, um, God, what awaits us. And may that day press us on to seek Him with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our mind and all of our strength. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.